Hello, and welcome to Talking Tent, a brand new podcast about movies, TV, and all the content we can possibly consume. My name is Zach. And I'm Irma. We are a married couple whose love for movies and TV cannot be contained, so we've decided to share our thoughts, opinions, cheers, and occasional jeers with the world. On today's episode, we'll be starting off, as we always do, with some hot goss industry talk. We'll quickly talk about some of the TV we watched this week, and then we're getting into the meat of the conversation, talking all things Marvel, the new Ant-Man movie, and a little bit of overrated, underrated, which almost immediately changed after I brought up that topic. Irma, why don't you start us off by talking about the bombshells that came out of the DGAs and the BAFTAs this weekend? So the BAFTAs were this weekend in London. A lot of crazy wins, I would say. Uh, Best Actress went to Kate Blanchett. Best Actor went to Austin Butler. Best Supporting Actress went to Carrie Condon from Banshees of Inisherin. Best Supporting Actor went to Barry Keoghan from Banshees of Inisherin. And Best Picture went to All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, the BAFTAs are also kind of strange because they also have like best British film and that went to Banshees of Inisherin. The best director, not someone I am familiar with, but it was the director who directed All Quiet on the Western Front. And then again, the DJs were also this weekend Directors Guild of America and the Daniels one. So they beat out Steven Spielberg, who I was assuming was the favorite. So what do you think about these? They're, it's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm scared. Austin Butler could win. I think this is a big indication that Austin Butler is much stronger in the race than originally thought. A classic case of everybody got out in front of the Brendan Fraser thing. And now it seems like he's not even in the running. I would say it's now Austin Butler versus Colin Farrell. And it looks like they're switching up the sexes on that classic ingenue that they give out almost every year. It's always with the men. It's often we're celebrating the the legends, the old guys that haven't done it yet or are doing it again. And for some reason, it seems like when they want to reward a younger actor, it's the women like Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence. They're kind of like crowning the new ingenue, the new, the new hot thing. And this year, it looks like we're headed towards that switching. The women between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh are kind of the legend mainstays that have been doing it forever, and we're still honoring them. And then the men is actually where we're going to kind of anoint this new ingenue and Austin Butler. I mean, he's a he's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you mean the man-genue. The man-genue, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I have to say about Best Actress, obviously, I love Kate Blanchett. Everything she does is just honestly so great. She's wonderful. But she already has two Oscars. And that kind of like, I just feel like... It really should go to Michelle Yeoh. The system of voting and all of that, I don't understand how it works. I've looked into it so many times, I'll still never understand. But truly, like, she has two Oscars already. I don't think she needs this necessarily. And I really do think it should go to Michelle Yeoh. And then another thing with the BAFTAs, for Best Supporting Actress, Angela Bassett did not win, which is disappointing. But also, this is a British award ceremony. So maybe that doesn't um, necessarily correlate one-to-one. Like, I don't think this is like a perfect litmus test. Um, What I do think is a good litmus test is the SAG Awards, which are going to be on this Sunday on YouTube of all places. But I think in the coming years, it will be on Netflix, which is kind of interesting. So for some reason, the Austin Butler win 
feels more telling of what's to come with the Oscars. The Carrie Condon over Angela Bassett feels like a very British thing. Angela Bassett sure. is, is an American legend. I think she'll definitely win the SAG, and I think she's still going to win the Oscar. Um, yeah, but for I hope some so. reason, this Austin Butler win, like we've been hearing about all this momentum, and like now it's it's really he's winning things. Well, he's super charismatic. Yeah. I mean, wa we watch him on SNL, we watch him on Hot Ones. He was like, so delightful, so likable. Yeah, it made me love him. He was so humble. He seemed honestly overwhelmed with all of this. Yeah, and I think he'll give a really good speech. Honestly, I agree. I agree, and it'll be sweet too. Like how he's like been dedicating everything to his mom and. And that's just like a heartwarming story that people love. Yeah, we talked about that the movie is horrible, but people <laughs> yeah. have been waiting probably years to see somebody do Elvis. And he did a really good Elvis. Yes, There's he no did. denying that. There's Even no if denying. the movie around it is, is off. But yeah, I won't be mad. I would love to see Colin Farrell up there, but he'll get one. It'll be like a late career yeah. one for when he does something. I don't know. I know. I know. I feel like they never win Oscars for what they should win most of the time. True. Yeah. He'll get a makeup. And then the Daniels for the DGAs. I, that's like a really big deal. I yeah, think. That one I think feels that's big like, also. Yeah. That could be really big for the Oscars. I still feel like Best Picture could be up in the air, but I think that's a good sign for everything everywhere all at once to possibly win Best Picture. I think the Daniels are now a lock for best director in the Oscar. And now best picture seems to be either everything everywhere or all quiet on the Western front. Or Banshees still. I don't, no? I don't know. I, I guess the acting, the actors have big sway usually. They like, do. They do. But sometimes people are like, oh, we'll give Banshees this award. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they're not going to get anything well, else. Well, he'll win writing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He'll definitely true. win writing. Which I think he did win at the at the BAFTAs. I didn't look up all of them, but it seemed even though the BAFTAs are small, the DGAs are big, and it seemed to really I don't know. I, it feels different after this weekend looking at those headlines. Really exciting. All right. So should we move on to TV time? Talking TV. Yeah, let's get in our comfies. Hop on the couch. Talk some TV <laughs> real quick. So we watched The Last of Us this week. Joel and Ellie finally get to Tommy, which was super exciting. And I would just like to say, like, I don't think we're going to go too deep into this, but I did really love and appreciate how in this episode, Ellie says she needs Joel. But of course, over the course of this episode, they show how Ellie has like learned so much from Joel and has become resourceful on her own. And she doesn't really need Joel like she thinks she does. She can really rely on herself to get her through. But because they have become so like codependent, and they do have started becoming like kind of like father and daughter. And she needs him because she wants him there, essentially. We got a pretty feel good episode. The I first know. of feeling pretty good going in. And then the last five minutes, really, really rough again. I know. I know. Oh, they love doing it. And you know what? I love it. I love feeling horrible when I turn off the show. One thing I did want to say, Ellie is really funny. She's so good. I have to imagine it's a Craig Mazin thing. Obviously, he's writing it. But he comes from a comedy background before he started doing devastating dramas. Uh, he wrote like some of the Hangover movies and and some other broad comedies in the past. The lines are just really funny. Like, yeah, laugh well, also out loud, the way funny. she delivers them yeah, too. She's like very she, good. yeah. And I think in real life she's nineteen and she's playing a thirteen year old, right? Which I mean is pretty natural to do. But also she just. I don't know. She embodies that like kid learning. I don't know. Being yeah, annoying. She's more you can. She's more mature than of if course, a real like 14 year old was yes, doing this. Yes, There's yes. just a maturity in it. 
But again, just another a fantastic episode. Yeah. And this one, it was different. Once again, they're doing something a little different. This one was mostly feeling pretty good. Like they're together. The the brother is thriving. Things are good. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, as good as they could be in this horrible I world. I know. And I felt like watching it, I was just like on edge. I was just like waiting for the thing to happen. Yeah. I was like, oh, something's going to pop out. These monkeys are going to be um, also cordyceps m- monkeys. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like I was waiting for something and nothing really too bad happened. I mean, obviously they had the fight with these like three men at the end. Well, which- he's dead. We don't know if he's so, dead. We don't, we don't think he's dead, but they left us thinking he's dead. Well, so true. And also the worst of the worst possibility. Is and also I was it. listening to a different podcast and they were saying that in the video game, essentially Joel is your POV character for most of this. But then after he gets stabbed, Ellie, you wake up and Ellie is the POV character. So you're oh, playing so as Ellie. Thing. Damn, this game sounds so good. I know. I can't believe how well it's 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 written out. So that'll be really interesting to see, like, Ellie kind of come into her own, like I was saying earlier. Like, she can do this, you know, and kind of proving that to herself and to Joel. Show keeps getting better and better. We have four more episodes, which is, like, exciting, but also depressing because I don't want it to end. So moving on, I also started Next Level Chef, which is a reality cooking competition show with Gordon Ramsay on Hulu. It's the second season of this. I watched the last season last year. And I mean, it's fine. It's a good show. It's kind of mindless. And I enjoy watching it without Zach. I think this is like maybe my cooking corner, I should call it. Yeah, I don't do Gordon Ramsay. I know. He, he's, he's really not bad in I this know. show. Like, There's just something about him that feels so contrived. Yeah. I just, I don't know. He doesn't do it for me. And he's so famous. He was all over the Super Bowl commercials. Yeah, so it was the first two episodes I watched. And I like in this season that they added some new rules, which help establish consequences for who wins and who loses. Overall, good show. I mean, good to throw on in the background. I love just a good cooking competition show. And then the last thing we watched this week, which just came back, is Carnival Row. The first two episodes of the second season are back on Amazon. We watched a recap on YouTube just to remind ourselves what the first season was about. And it is so confusing. That recap was bad. Yeah, maybe it was just a bad recap, but it was also I just was so lost. Yeah, there's a lot of weird names and there's just a lot going on. Obviously, it was what, eight hour long episodes. Yeah. Dumbed down into 20 minutes. But yeah, it's pretty confusing. Yeah, yeah. And so we watched these first two episodes back to back. And guess who fell asleep? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think we had eaten or something. And I just guess sleepy and my eyes started to close. I think I caught most of it. But maybe that's kind of telling that it's not. It I didn't mean, start off so great. Yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, it's a, again, it's about like fairies and I don't know, like beings, other beings, essentially just like living in like a London type city. And it's pretty heavy, actually. Yeah, it's really heavy. They're in like Holocaust level yeah, it, um, ghettos and stuff. And yeah, it's crazy. But in general, like I enjoy it. Cardell Levine, Orlando Bloom. I mean, I'm going to keep watching it if Zach decides to fall asleep every time that's fine by me no all right that's the tv for this week we'll let you know what we talk about next week we went on date night on friday we got our popcorn we got comfy in our recliner seats at the amc dolby theater still looking for that sponsorship and we saw ant-man and the wasp quantumania we were so intrigued well the trailer was freaking amazing i have to say the 
the down the yellow brick road with the Beatles song. It was so good. The trailer was really good. We all had it. We both had our expectations sky high. We did. And let's just say the movie did not live up to that. We actually got home on Friday, which we don't often do. We we record on Monday or Tuesday. We were like, I think we should just get all of our thoughts out. So we recorded on Friday, all of our thoughts, big spoilers. We're going to put that at the end of this episode. But first, as I said last week, off the cuff, I kind of thought, hey, we're going to talk a little bit larger about Marvel. Let's do an underrated, overrated. What do we think is an underrated Marvel movie and what do we think is an overrated Marvel movie? So I'm going to start with my personal pick as an underrated Marvel movie. Both of these are actually phase four movies, so very relevant. I really loved Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I did not love Doctor Strange 1. I thought it was pretty boring. And then Doctor Strange 2. Doctor Strange 1. What is that again? Well, it introduces oh, Doctor right, Strange. right, 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 right. His origin story. <laughs> yeah, he, break, he messes up his hands. Yeah, his hands. Rachel qual- McAdams. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Love. Love. And this one really did it for me. I think it starts with Sam Raimi. I was excited when I heard he was doing this. I figured he's going to go crazy with it. He's going to evil dead it. And he totally did. Once I saw what was happening, I was just along for the ride. This over-the-top, overwrought crazy graphics, a bunch of scare, actually scary things, some gore, bombastic music by Danny Elfman was so good. I rewatched The Multiverse of Madness with Danny Elfman's awesome score, and then we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp 2, basically right after it, and it was just like generic action score, zip zaps. It just feels so different. One was so well thought out, mm-hmm. and- you really notice it again when you when you watch all these back to back. He made the Scarlet Witch actually scary. I remember coming out of the theater when we saw it, and some of the some of the weird, like really horror esque witchy stuff when she comes through the portal. If you remember, and her bones are all crooked. Yeah, she climbs there through were definitely the thing. Moments. She, yeah, they had like a real jump scare that yeah. everybody screamed at. It was definitely really interesting what he tried to do, and then. It kind of was the first one that really dove into the the multiverse. Loki and Spider-Man No Way Home kind of opened up the possibility of the multiverse and showed us a little bit. And then this expanded on more of the rules and showed us a lot of actual other universes. Whereas Spider-Man, they all came to us. In Doctor Strange, we went to them. And especially the one scene where he sucks America Chavez out of the way and they blast through all of these yeah, universes. Cool. Some of them are cartoons. Some of them are blobs. It was just like a really fun way to see all of these different yeah. worlds. And I liked America Chavez's character. I thought yeah. she was really, yeah, cool and fun. And in this one, they introduce unforced, unlike Ironheart in Wakanda Forever. It felt organic to the story. America Chavez was essential to the story. And she seems like she's going to be a really, A, essential character. And a really cool character. Yeah. And she really worked in it. It is interesting to think about all of the new characters that they're introducing and thinking a few years forward and realizing that the Avengers are going to be all like 18-year-old people. Yeah. Like Spider-Man, America Chavez, Ironheart, Miss Marvel, Shuri, Shuri, Shuri in 
I mean, she's not 18, but Shuri yeah. is Black Panther. Hawkeye. Yeah, the new Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Uh, the new Black Widow. Yeah, they're all just mostly young women except yeah, for Tom Holland. Yeah, all young women. And I'm, I'm all for that. I'm just interested to see what it will look like in a Avengers level fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the big introduction of America Chavez happens in this movie, and it's great. And we get some really cool cameos, unlike what we'll talk about later in some of the Ant-Man, the Ant-Man movies that had some weird cameos for really no reason. This movie, we get some really cool cameos. We see Krasinski potentially has the only time. He's always been rumored to play Mr. Fantastic. We don't know if it's actually happening, but we get to see it. We see Rambo as in the alternate universe as Captain Marvel. We see Captain Carter. It's a lot of these characters they introduced in the What If What If show. Yeah, the but we cartoon. got to see them yeah, in real life cool. almost immediately, mm-hmm. and a bunch of cool fights. I don't think anybody is disagreeing with me on on any of that. Well, so wait, what? What? I'm sorry. Say you're saying that this is the most underrated movie or one of. I think it's it's one of. Okay. And I'm getting to what seemed to be after it came out the issue. That everybody had, and it's with is what they did with Wanda. our girl Wanda. Yeah, I agree with this. Honestly, this movie is Wanda's movie. This movie is about Wanda. It's do- it says Doctor Strange. This movie is about Wanda. Yeah, it could have easily been Wanda Maximoff in the Multiverse of Madness. The hate is how mad she gets, <laughs> but they address it up front. She's lost everything. She lost her brother. Her family, her home, that was all in Ultron. I mean, yeah, she it's lost awful. Her, she like, lost her lover with Vision. She lost her children, whether or not they, they he keeps telling her that they're not real, but they're real. They, they were there. Real. Yeah. They were there and they're in every other universe. So they're real and it's kind of cheapens it. It's kind of bad on Strange's part to be well, like, they're not real. He's questionable in general. I mean, we just watched Spider-Man No Way Home and he just, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like, I mean, in the oeuvre, he's like a smart, universal being, but he's kind of a dummy. Yeah, they hint at this in this movie and then Spider-Man, which we'll talk about next, actually. So Wanda's big gripe is that she sacrificed so much to defeat Thanos and to save the world. She killed vision herself and it meant nothing because dr strange decided that thanos should just have the time stone so he could turn back time take the mind stone from vision and so her sacrifice meant nothing because dr strange decided this is the only way that it's going to work and they show a bunch of things in the movie that he doesn't know everything Early in the movie, he makes the mistake of telling Wanda where America Chavez is by mistake. But if he knows the path of everything to come, why would he do that? And then he makes all these other mistakes in Spider-Man. And I think it really brings into question, like, was this the only way forward? Is he right? Is it because having a character in any story that is supposed to know the right answer to everything is impossible to write? Yeah, I would say that. Or I mean, is it all bull? Like, is his whole thing just kind of bull? Yeah. Even Rachel McAdams early in this movie calls him out saying that Doctor Strange always needs to be in control. Exactly. Yeah, I so agree with that. He he exudes this I'm right energy, but he might not be right. Yes. And so Wanda gets real mad. And she turns people 
really loved, I loved WandaVision. She got kind of a redemption. But what they've built, and I think in these, is that this is just a, a repeat of what, of what we've seen with her. She, she nearly killed an entire city when her brother died in Ultron, but she didn't, and she got redeemed. She enslaved an entire town after Vision died. Then she let them go. She got redeemed. Her children died. Now she wants, she'll do anything. And honestly, all she wants is basically to, to kill America Chavez. And Doctor Strange won't let that happen. Well, she wants her power. She wants right? her power, yeah. but it's kind of assumed that in order to do that, she's going to kill her. Yeah. And Doctor Strange won't do that. Yet he sacrificed Vision for, yeah. for his path. So it made sense. People, people were saying that they did her dirty, like her getting really, really evil. But it was kind of all a progression from one thing to the next, a bad thing she'd done. And now she just goes full Scarlet Witch. She's the most powerful being in the universe. That's Unleash. If you lose your... We're going to get serious right now, but everybody agrees, basically, losing a child is the worst possible thing. And in normal stories, people have to make peace. They, they simply must make peace with it. There is nothing left. There is nothing else other than you know, potentially doing worse to yourself. But in this case, she is so powerful that she can do something about it. And can we fault her for th wanting to? And I think a lot of people really faulted her for getting mad. And she even says it, she says it to Dr. Strange, the classic line of you break the rules and you're the hero. I do. And I become the enemy. No, I agree like, with why that. Why can't yeah. she just get what she wants for once instead yeah. of just letting the world dictate well, I know. I also think like, I think everyone agrees with her and is compassionate towards her. But why did they have to make her the villain? I think that's the thing. Because she's so powerful. Like she, she wanted to kill someone. I understand, but like, it could have like been like, I need to get my children back. But she didn't have to be like this monster to do it. Sure. But I guess. But can I mean that's an option. I understand, but it's kind of like the range, the rageful mother. I don't know. It just is like, it's not, I don't know. It's just like that trope just doesn't feel right. I guess. But like, can people just not get really mad? Gore did the same thing. We're not mad at Christian Bale, are we? Gore lost a child and he wants yeah. to end the world. And we're good with that. We're, yeah. we're like, yeah, you're right, Gore. I feel bad for you. I still want to defeat you. You're the villain, right? So it's, this, it's the same thing, but people didn't like it. And honestly, they give, they give, watching it again, I realized that they give this argument an out because you can just blame the Darkhold. And they say it a few times that the Darkhold takes hold of people and changes them when they're using it. So even Doctor Strange in another universe uses the Darkhold and he's the one that becomes like that evil Strange that yeah. they meet when mm -hmm. they do the awesome music fight. So essentially, if you're still mad about Wanda being mad that her children and everything she loved has been taken from her for really no reason. Blame the book. And when she comes back, even though she died in this one, she gets her redemption. Also, it's not until she sees herself and her children be terrified of the monster that she's become. Yes, agreed. Does she realize she's become a monster and she sacrifices herself the fourth in the line of doing something horrible and getting redeemed and all I hope is that Wanda is not gone because she is my favorite character in all of this universe. Obviously, I'm a sucker for, for grief and rage and horror, 
and stuff. And, and it just, it just works for me. So I think she'll come back in one of these universes and be good again. And I just love, I just love her. Well, that's so, the thing is like, she is like a Nexus being. So she is essentially the same in every multiverse or universe mm-hmm. that um, she is in. And in other universes, she does have her children. Right. And so, most of them, that's what she was looking for. So yeah. she wanted America Travis's power to find a universe where her children were alive. Exactly. And she does that, but then she finds herself also alive. Yes. One thing I remember really hit me hard and hit me hard again was the good Wanda that she finally gets to the children and the children are so terrified of our Wanda. And when it all kind of goes on her face and she kneels down and she's basically broken, realizes who she is. The other Wanda, it gets really deep because imagine seeing yourself be so horrible, but you're the same person. Everything that's happened to you and your, and your imagination and the way you process things is the same. So she sympathizes, she empathizes with what happened to make you like this. And she just says, know that they'll be loved. And it's like, that's incredible. It's yeah, such a good line. It is. And to give that, it's just, re- I think it's a very deep All right, concept. maybe you convinced me. Yeah, it's that's really very good. underrated. Okay. It's great. Okay. <laughs> so what's your overrated movie? So the overrated one, I went in, I said the concept last week saying, oh, maybe we'll do this next week. And I knew I had my underrated because I knew I loved Multiverse of Madness. And then I started thinking of overrated. And I immediately was like, oh, man, maybe we shouldn't even do this. Because honestly, the good ones are good. Yeah. The good movies that everybody agrees on are really good. So at first, my first thought was maybe this new Spider-Man no way home. wasn't as good as everybody seemed to celebrate. It was also kind of one of the big return to cinema moments. And so people were really amped on it. They were really amped for all the cameos. And so I was like, there's got to be something. I'm going to rewatch it. There's got to be something that it isn't as good as everyone thinks. And I now think it might be underrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's underrated. Yeah. I, people love this I movie. know, but it might, it, might, like, it might be in my top five again. I need to, I need to rethink about it. Do you know how many Marvel movies there are? Oh, there's so 31. Many. That's a lot. Isn't that insane? We just watched Spider-Man No Way Home. And... It's honestly just a perfect antithesis for everything that was wrong about Ant-Man because it's funny. It's really funny. And Ant-Man tries yeah. to be funny and it doesn't work. Spider-Man just knew how to make it. it the, the humor was personal. It weren't just nonsense quips. Also in this movie, Strange messes up a lot. So this is getting he back does. to the point that we just uh, said. Do we don't do we hate Doctor Strange? I think we don't I, like him. I think he's a questionable character and yeah. I think it's becoming more and more obvious that he is much more fallible than well, he, he says. Well, he can't be so overpowered then. They they also address this in Multiverse of Madness when he goes to the the Illuminati, I think they call them with with Krasinski yeah. and Patrick Stewart as Professor X. They say you are the most dangerous thing in the multiverse yeah because he has this god complex ultimately he has to be in control and maybe he's not always right yeah and he makes a lot of mistakes he almost he he got distracted by some kid right so I know. tom holland yeah. is like no he's being home. a classic teen like yeah. wait 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 whoa 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 like you can't zone that out and just do the spell right i know it doesn't really he, make sense and then he blames 
Tom Holland yeah, over and over. Yeah, he was pretty over. awful to Tom. And then at the end, when he's trying to re-rip the thing together, he can't do that. Yeah. And he rips open all the all the rifts and more things start coming in. But ultimately, this movie was just, it was so well-paced. It yes. was funny. They There was... There was basically plots that built to other plots, and we're going to talk more about how in Ant-Man they just didn't do that. And they, were, they managed to really work the humor in. It was a human story. I think that's the biggest thing. I agree. I was just about to say, yeah, this is like a very personal story to Peter. I mean, it's a big story, but the fact that it's so grounded with him and his emotions, and we feel that, mm -hmm. we feel it like... Like I was tearing up multiple times, but with Ant-Man, it really isn't like they lost the heart of what makes Ant-Man good. Like what makes yeah, it got Paul too big. Rudd's character like feel, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just, yeah, it got way too big. But this is also pretty big. No Way Home is a pretty big story. Right. But opening up the multiverse part of it makes it a big part of what's going forward. But ultimately... The story was that these old villains want to kill Peter and we need to stop that. And it transitions into basically showing how good Spider-Man is, that he doesn't just want to kill them or send them back. He wants to cure them. And that's that's ultimately the thing that happens. He, Aunt May says, we help people. And that's really the heart of the Spider-Man story. So what's the heart of the Ant-Man story? Yes. They don't They don't know. It's Cassie. <laughs> sure. It's just, it's, it's doing bits. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And then the, I think the biggest difference is this one has real consequences. And we're about to talk about Ant-Man and how That's true. Marvel seems like they're too scared to go as dark as some of the themes. But in, then I immediately watched this movie. I was like, no, they're not. They just did it. His aunt dies in front of him. And then the very end, he has to sacrifice everyone again, everyone he loves. Interesting, the difference between him and Wanda. He sacrifices it where hers was taken from her. Yes. And then they react completely different. He's a purely good person. Like, it's a real consequence. We don't know what's going to happen going forward. We don't know how they're going to reintroduce Spider-Man because he is, Peter Parker is nobody right now. Well, I think they're going to reintroduce him by making him Miles Morales. Potentially. Yeah, they hint at it with Jamie Foxx says, maybe in one world there's a black Spider-Man. I said, there is, and I bet he's coming. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. And then they do the Venom thing, which is really cool. Just everything worked about this movie. Yeah, it was good. It was so good. I, again, I came in being like, maybe is it going to, this is my pick for overrated. And it's it's not. It's so good. It, two, we watched the extended edition, was which was two hours and 40 minutes long. And yeah. it didn't feel long. It was so it was perfectly paced. Yeah. Funny. And every scene that Andrew Garfield is in, he steals it. Oh, we Ugh. gotta get more Garfield. We really do. They got they honestly, they should just if they're I don't think there's a plan for another Spider-Man movie, right? Like when they announced it. Yeah, all I of don't it. think so. so well, Spider I think Tom Holland doesn't want to do it anymore. Oh. So Spider-Man will be in something going forward, the Avengers stuff or the big yeah. level stuff. But man, if they do it, they should just do the trio again. I know. The trio works so good. It and Spider-Man is not powerful enough on his own to really compete with some of the things that we know are out there and some of the heroes that we know. Yeah. Like Captain Marvel and Spider-Man. It's like, what are you going <laughs> to swing yeah. and kick people? But when it's three people swinging and kicking people, it's like a little bit more believable, yeah. right? So I don't have an overrated Marvel movie. The good Marvel movies are legitimately good, and I couldn't really find one. So after 
a lot of that glowing talk about Marvel. Like I said earlier, we got home on Friday. We recorded our immediate reactions. Let's just say we are much more trepidatious about the future of Marvel after watching Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yeah, I just want to say a caveat. Like, it's been a couple days, and so I've been able to sit with it a bit more. And yeah, in general, like, I definitely want to revisit this movie, like, definitely watch it when it comes out on Disney+. Plus. And there was things that didn't work on this, but in general, like, it was fun. They took a swing. I I still love Jonathan Majors. I still have high hopes for him. And we'll see what comes after this. I think it could potentially be the worst Marvel movie. No, Eternals is the worst. No, Eternals silly. isn't that bad and it's self-contained. I also still have hope for Kang, even though it doesn't work in this movie. I think a better crafted film like Spider-Man No Way Home will give him the opportunity to truly shine. And here's our pretty sad <laughs> conversation. Don't judge us too harshly. From actually. Friday. We just got back from seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania at our beloved AMC Dolby Theater. Still looking for that sponsorship. Thank you very much. Spread the word. And we wanted to get our instant reactions. So, Irma, what did you think of that movie? Well, first off, are we spoiling this movie? Can this movie be spoiled? Like, should I just say everything I feel like word vomit and go from there and hopefully... If people want to see it after that, they can. Yes. There's no way to talk about this without spoiling spoiling it a little bit. So if you haven't seen it, pause it, come back after you've seen it or get spoiled. So I have a couple main points that I wanted to hit. The first one is just like the overall tone of the movie. It was just super off. This was like a big criticism with Thor Love and Thunder. It just was like, it tried to be funny in parts when like real shit was happening. And I'm just like, why is this joke here? Like, it just doesn't belong. Ant-Man in general is just what you would call, quote unquote, a street level hero. He starts out as basically just like a thief in San Francisco and robs Hank Pym's house, essentially, and then gets the Ant-Man suit. This guy's not like a genius. He's just a thief, you know? And the fact that this is all revolving around him, especially after these first two movies were like pretty low stakes, I guess, when you think about it. And now this, it just like, I guess the pathway to this movie just hasn't felt earned. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm still struggling with the implications of all of this. So I would say that's my first gripe. It's definitely a huge step forward in his importance. Like you said, the first two movies are pretty much independent of the rest of the MCU, barring a tiny, tiny bit, but not even really. Um, And then obviously his involvement in Civil War and Endgame expanded his role. But yeah, it's the same issue they had with the new Thor. They don't know how to do something very serious or they just don't understand that the quirk that made Thor Ragnarok work and what made Ant-Man 1 work simply doesn't work when your villain is trying to end the world and like you said it just there are these massive moments where our villain Kang is 
talk is talking about genocide and just destroying trillions of people. And then they make like a joke about getting big again. And it was the same thing with Thor in Love and Thunder. It was like Gore is mourning the loss of his child and wants to kill everyone in revenge. And then they're just like doing silly little quirks back and forth between Thor and uh, the mighty Thor. And it just it just feels off and it really makes the stakes of what we're watching feel dumbed down. Yeah. Do you think that they'll ever be able to do like one of those like smaller, like street level hero movies again? Like, I just feel like they keep ramping up just in general at Marvel. And like, I just don't think you can do small movies anymore. And those are the movies I like. Yeah. The shows have been a bit of a bit of that. So like Miss right. Marvel. Like She-Hulk. She-Hulk, yeah. Even Shang-Chi started as just a guy on the streets kicking ass. Oh, until they got to the dragon duel? Sure. <laughs> but it was more of like a self-contained movie. I mean, this was never supposed to be self-contained. It also just had, it had pacing problems. We didn't need to spend an hour and 45 minutes in the quantum realm. Going into this movie, I was always like, I'm not even positive I like A, the way that it looks, and B, just the whole idea. I basically kept telling myself, just pretend it's a planet and they're in space because what it really is doesn't really make sense. And then there's like an entire civilization and he built an entire army there. And like, what is it? But that's the whole movie. That's the point. The quantum mania. Like, I know, but the way for me to justify it and just accept it, which is what I had to do, was to be like, let's just pretend we're at Tatooine and these people are aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or else it's like, what, what are we doing? It's just miniature, miniature world inside of cells. Fine. I'm no quantum physicist here, but it just felt odd. Well, I think it's not really that you're just so small. It's also just like a different dimension almost. But it's not. Uh, I think it kind of is. They're just really small. And then they try and say there's like no time and space within this place. I don't know. It's just so odd. It's like they're trying to tell us things, but it doesn't make that much sense. Yeah. That's kind of one of my problems. But then, so they introduce, they're doing a little quirky family stuff in the beginning, which was delightful with lots of jokes. And then probably at minute seven to 10 of the movie, we're boom, we're in the quantum realm and we never leave it. And it's just like, for then for 20 minutes there, everybody just says, it's him. So many times that you stop caring who him is, even though we all know who they're talking about. And then we're just kind of catching up with Kang, kind of fighting against his army. There's way too many characters that we don't care about. They introduced all of these people that were already in the quantum realm, like the, yeah. the blob guy, which was funny. <clears throat> so that's like another one of my like things like Bill Murray was in this movie why was Bill Murray in this movie? It was so unnecessary. Like that part could have been completely cut out of the movie. And then we could have spent more time with these characters that you're talking about of like these blobs and these like aliens, these native <laughs> yeah. people to this world, essentially. And then we could have cared about them when they come back at the end of the movie. Bill Murray's character never comes back. His character is pointless. Yes. And I understand he probably has a link to the comic books. So people who read the comic books were probably excited to see that character. But just in general, it doesn't work for this movie. Like, I, I really do think that they should have spent more time 
with the natives of the quantum realm. So we care about them. So uh, we know them. So we actually know their names. Absolutely. There were a few characters. I couldn't, I don't even know her name. It was, I don't know. I but mean, they said it like maybe twice. She played a- And yeah. Cheaty. Yeah. Uh, the Cheaty from The Good Place is in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then like the laser head guy and the blob guy. Like there were just so many, there were, so if you, if you go back to the original Avengers movie, there was five of them, right? And they're fighting Loki. And that was the assembly. That was the big assembly. Now in this one movie, there were probably 10 different people who had, who had names and were fighting and it was all over the place. And we only knew, we didn't know half of them. And then when one of them dies, you're like, oh, okay. Like it just, it had no weight. Bill Murray basically plays because everybody loved the Jeff Goldblum cameo in the Thor movies, except that one worked. It was like in the right spot and it was at the right time. And he actually played a part in the movie. And then Bill Murray, like Irma said, is just kind of like a segue to convince you that Janet, Michelle Pfeiffer's character was like being a little sneaky yeah. or secretive when she was there. But yeah, then it's just like, then he's gone and they take his ship and they know how to fly the ship. It just seemed so unnecessary. Like she could have gone to this bar to steal a ship, essentially. Like that's all they really needed. She didn't need to talk to him at all. Like he gave us nothing. He gave us no information. Like it was just like unnecessary. Yeah, it was a cameo for a cameo's sake. Yeah. And then talking about maybe giving the comic book readers a little bit too much we have to talk about probably the worst, the worst part. So uh, this is legit like the thing that bothered me the most. It was unbearable. It ruined it ruined the movie. And also like he tried to be so, okay, we need to say his name, Modoc. He was essentially a villain from the first movie. He was terrible. Like this is just terrible. And also he just was in a different movie altogether. Like I can't understand how him... And then Jonathan Majors Kang were in the same movie. It just doesn't make sense at all. And they were partners almost. Yeah. It I think they like, had one scene together or maybe more, but I don't know. It was Cor terrible. Corey Stahl. Yeah, that's it. I know Modoc plays a little funnier in the real Marvel world. They made a Hulu show and Patton Oswalt plays Modoc. So Modoc is like a comedic take on this, which I guess they thought, oh, it's the Ant-Man universe. It's funny. But was this so movie wasn't actually that funny. Like this was it the movie. It shouldn't have been funny. This movie. I mean, maybe a joke here or there. Yeah, but Paul it didn't Rudd need is always going to be a little bit funny. Yeah, but not. Yeah, the the Monarch thing. So, okay, on top of him being a terrible character, it looks it's a, it's awful. A, it's basically a giant head that's a mask. That's a, a a metal head. But some crazy person decided we're going to pop the mask up and show. This guy's real face so that everybody, I guess that was the reveal of like who it is, even though it did not have to be this person. We did not have to get the resolution on Yellow Jacket. He was just dead. Like all of a sudden we're and getting- Yellow Jacket's from the first movie. Yeah, from the, the, the villain from the first one that tries and kills the, the daughter and the, the yellow yeah. version of Ant-Man. And, and then the, the warping of his face to fit this giant costume thing, which is, I mean, it's not a costume, it's digital. It looks so bad. And every single time Modoc came and did something, they decided, let's pop the mask off and show this face again. And I was shocked. How did this pass everybody? How did no one go, maybe we just don't show the face and it's just a metal monster? 
also because it was just like a face. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like a head. You know what I mean? Maybe if it was more of like his full head and maybe would have like, I don't know how to, I, it was, it was bad. It was just really, really bad. And he just kept being quippy in parts that you just don't, you didn't need it. You really just didn't need him. Yeah, fu- fully overquipped. We're getting yeah. to the point in these stories where, where things are serious, like we just said, and and the the fate of the world, the fate of the universe, the fate of the multiverse is at stake here. And we're like making jokes about being big. Yeah, like being big. They did the they did the big Ant Man thing again, and that squashed what should have been a beautiful reunion of Scott and Cassie in the quantum realm. All right, if- can I be a little cynical? Yeah, we've been cynical this whole time. I'm kind of sick of this whole thing of, oh my God, my daughter needs my help. Oh no, I got to get to Cassie. I just feel like it's such like an overwrought trope. And I understand like parents and their children. I do. I get it. But it's just like, it just feels like that's the big underlying thing that we need to care about. And I'm sorry, I just don't care. Also, this is the third Cassie. And I'm just like, like, yeah, sure, Scott, I care about because I know him. But like this relationship, I'm just, I don't know. I guess I'm just heartless. I can't help it. I don't think it's the theme because we've watched plenty of other movies that's the exact same thing. The shrinking TV show is the exact same thing. And we cry every episode. It's the, the it's the delivery of how they did this. They squashed the relationship. They tried to tell us that they his only goal was to get her back. But then when they like meet back up, they're both big, and it's just like a goof. And they all almost died. It's That's very true. odd. Yeah, it's like the tone issue. It's just a tone issue. Yeah, they, they the whole the whole movie felt really flat. It wasn't even one of the longer ones. It's it was two two hours. And it just felt so boring for most of it. Even Kang. We were so excited for Kang. And is Kang bad? Or is this it? Or is the Kang dynasty in trouble? I know. I love Jonathan Majors. I've said it multiple times. I just felt like he needed to be a little more menacing. I don't know. I just like, I was definitely like wary of him. A big part of the movie hinges on Janet Van Dyne, who is Hank Pym's wife, her relationship with Kang, and she, I guess, essentially fucks him over in the quantum realm when she was there for 30 years. And like she is refusing to tell her family what happens. And it's like this thing that like she won't talk about it. She won't talk about it. And then she finally talks about it. And we're like, why weren't you talking about this? Like it just like it didn't make sense what she was withholding. Yeah. Withholding. I'm sorry. It just didn't pay off almost. I mean, it wasn't like it was a bad story, but like, why did they have to build it up so much? Like, I just like, please tell us what happened. And then like, I just almost wanted more of Kang. Like, I don't know what it was about him that I just didn't feel right about it. It's hard because Thanos was so good. Yeah. This is different. They're trying to do something different. Essentially, what we're dealing with for this phase is a horde of superpowered villains and not just one menacing monster. So the fact that this version of Kang felt okay 
you weren't really scared of him. The one thing I did, I wrote down, was when they when they're trying to tell us how horrible he is, and when Michelle Pfeiffer sees his destruction, the destruction that they show us, the audience, is basically just these blue laser beams coming out of his hands, a small explosion, and like the idea of destruction. But they don't show anything that bad. And it looks exactly the same as everything else we've seen in Marvel before. It looks like the same generic graphics of blasts and bloops. Yes, I'm being told he's a monster. He's crazy. But just show me. It's the same. It's like they don't want to fully show. They don't want to get this dark for some reason. But the themes are really dark. and they But they still want to make it palatable. palatable yeah. Also, like at the end, it almost kind of I think we all realize that this version of Kang that we met in this movie was maybe not the villain we think he is. And so like the other versions of him are the actual villains. So maybe that like plays into it of like why this Kang wasn't so menacing and maybe he was misunderstood. But like we just really didn't get enough of him to like. I think realize that or be able to flush that out, like to even feel bad for him when he maybe dies. Or is it possible we got too much of him? He spoke too much to the point that you were like, all right, I, I get what you're saying, but you're just saying the same thing over and over again. The beautiful thing about Thanos was they built to it. And they didn't show him until Well, because he Avengers. had a henchman. He had like a sidekick that did most of that. The the one thing, and I don't I don't like knocking artists and the, the creators of these movies. And honestly, this goes against the theory I was thinking of with these Marvel movies, was if you start looking at the credits and the writing the writing credits is like five or six people, which a lot of them is, odds are we've we got some problems and they had to keep punching it up and keep making keep making revisions in this case the director is one guy and the writer is one guy the problem that i'm thinking is the writer i mean i'm all for giving these people chances he's done nothing he wrote for kimmel he's a funny guy he wrote for miracle workers he wrote for rick and morty also they really like plucking these rick and morty people but then this is his first real movie and the director is more experienced But basically for the last 10 years, he's been making Ant-Man 1, Ant-Man 2, and Ant-Man 3. Before that, he made Bring It On. He made Yes Man. He made The Breakup. So that experience works in Ant-Man 1 when it's kind of a nice romance building. It's mostly funny. Michael Pena is hilarious. Also, Michael Pena not being in this movie. Oh, shit. He's not in this movie. Why? a disaster. He made Ant-Man, yeah. the first one. Oh, yeah. And even the second one. Like, he saved the second one. The second one's not good. That's a bad choice. And so making this movie is so much bigger than that. And I'm not saying nobody from those those experiences can do this, but maybe this person couldn't. I mean, what well, came out Marvel, is just doesn't work. Marvel's such a machine at this point. I don't think you can really like put it on their shoulders like that one sole writer and the one director. Like Marvel is a machine. They did I, with Coogler. I understand Killed but it. like at this this is the third movie. Like it, it has to, it's building towards something that's going to affect all of Marvel. Right. All of these people essentially like in future movies so I just kind of think they're putting in motion something. They have no real agency. They don't have much of a say 
They're like, okay, this is what we have to do to affect everything else that comes after. This kind of like Ant-Man 2 very much just felt like a stopgap in progressing the story forward, but barely. I feel like this could have been a half an hour short and it would have been much more effective. This movie was one step forward, one step backwards, and now we're just doing the same thing again. Probably five different iterations of kind of fighting Kang, kind of fighting his henchmen. It, it was just, it felt, it, the whole thing felt off. The only moment that worked for me was near the very end when we finally get to the point where they figure out how to get out. Scott pushes his daughter through the, through the portal. So we're Kang and Ant-Man are going to have their fight. And that fight is very good. It's, it's brutal hand to hand, just, just good fist fighting. Yeah. And you see that Kang is much more powerful than Ant-Man and physically he's gonna he's gonna yeah uh, i mean honestly uh, one punch i yeah. don't think he's getting back yeah, can up can you imagine that actual fight i yeah, was i was thinking one thinking, we were watching like, i was like paul rudd must be like all right take it down a notch a little yeah. man we're acting but so when we think scott is screwed the wasp comes back through the portal and helps and that part really like a i didn't expect it really and then she comes and they kick ass and and it's it's a nice moment and then the portal closes and the whole world is cheering, the whole quantum realm, because they, they defeated Kang, we think. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. Now he's going to get stuck again because that is his fate. Isn't that the point of his story that all, all the marketing was about all this time that he lost? And that wasn't his motivation in this movie. At all. It was yeah. the they trailer. They misled us. They yeah. totally misled us. The motivation was just that Kang had his daughter and he had to go save her. It had yeah. nothing to do with like that whole enticing thing of him giving him time back. It didn't, they didn't, re, they didn't talk about that at all in the well, actual Well, no, they movie. did it with Janet. That was the point. Sure. It, we, we were misled to think it was Ant-Man, but it was actually Janet. And the, it seems like the, the point of his story is kind of a tragic thing of that. He's just never going to have enough time with his daughter. And I thought, wow, they're going to get stuck in the quantum realm again. And they could kind of be the king and queen of there, but he's still going to be stuck. And isn't that his tragic fate? And then they just open the portal back up and go home. I mean, that kind of makes sense. They had like the thing. Yeah, but it could have broken storytelling. The the thing could have broken. The story is better if he gets stuck again. I don't think so. I mean, I liked that part of her of Evangeline, Evangeline Lily coming back to get Ant-Man, Paul's character. But yeah, I don't think they needed to get stuck there again. I mean, I don't really think we need another Ant-Man movie. I don't really see how they can move on from this. I mean, if he stayed there, then sure, maybe there would be another movie. They They didn't do another movie when he got stuck the other time. He just came back in Endgame. So like they could have just done that again when when they need him, they could have figured out a way to bring him back and it would have been an Avenger level plan to bring him back. And like they could have gotten some other people involved, but he still would have lost time with his daughter. And that's the point of these movies. That feels too brutal. Right. Stop hiding from the brutality of this world. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad he went back. I don't think it was necessary. And then the one thing, comparing it again to Thor Love and Thunder, which I actually think was better than this. What I thought coming out of that movie, Thor 4, was if they were going to do Gore, the God Butcher, they shouldn't have used Taika. And if they wanted to use Taika again, 
they should have picked a different villain because it just didn't fit. And the same thing for this movie. Kang didn't need to come from the quantum realm. He wasn't from the quantum realm, and now he's out of the quantum realm. And the actual Kang dynasty that's coming is not even this version of Kang. So they put Kang in the quantum realm as the villain of this movie because they felt like it. And they wanted to introduce him at the start of phase five. I think. But they didn't have to. It could have been a totally different thing. Where he was in the comic books. Like, I think this is a comic book, like, adaptation. Just use a different story. Comic books rewrite stories all the time. They start and stop. They, the same characters do different things. It just didn't really work. Like, it didn't. Kang is really serious. It works much better in the Loki world, which they hinted at. Yeah. And this, it just doesn't, it, he's a time jumper. He's a multiverse maneuver, maneuverer. It has nothing to do with the quantum realm. It's just odd. Like they forced it in and then it didn't work. Another example of feeling like it was forced in and then it didn't really work. All right. Well, that's, I think, our opinions on the quantum realm, unless you have anything else. Yeah, that was very, that was a very negative. <laughs> we were very negative. Is there anything that we liked? I really like Michelle Pfeiffer. I thought she kicked butt. A couple times. Yeah, a few times she had some really good fights. But then, yeah, her character, like we talked about, like, why weren't you just telling your family about this world-killing person that you met? And why? You, you said, don't go in the quantum yeah, realm. It's too like, dangerous. But then just tell them why. And also because she saw his dreams and knowing that he could, like, yeah. kill worlds. Like, why wouldn't she tell them that? Like, because if he's, especially after her, like... Oh, also, the one thing that really actually pissed me off because it felt lazy was at the end when Hank Pym was talking about the ants and he was like oh yeah when the ants came in they lived a thousand years in one day so they're so advanced and they the ants come and save them and help them defeat Kang and whatever but I'm like that doesn't make sense then why wouldn't that happen to you guys mm. like I don't know it just doesn't make sense that why like the ants would have been there for a thousand years, even though they came into the quantum realm with like Hank and the family and everyone at the same time. Like it was just like bizarre. It was just like that. That was the reason that these ants are so like smart. Yeah, that was one note I wanted to say also. So they do a with the ant invasion to save the day. Well, they actually they do the same thing twice. Again, they do the same thing twice. First, the Group comes in to save the day of the the native quantum realmers. So Cassie motivates them to fight against Kang. So right when you think the Which ant- should have been a bigger deal. Right when you think the ant family is doomed, these people come in much like uh, on your left when the rest of the Avengers come in, or much like the two towers when when uh, Gandalf and all the horses come in, and it feels awesome, and your blood is pumping. You're like, oh my god, here they are. It didn't. It didn't work. I don't know why. I didn't feel like I that mean, at all. I mean, you don't know why? Because Gandalf is such a, a well, monumental right. character. We only had just met these people. That's what I was trying to say yeah. earlier. That like if maybe they cut out Bill Murray's uh, whole scene and we had more time with these people, we would have cared about that. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's a pacing and plotting thing. If they just didn't build to this moment because they kept just giving us fights that meant nothing and then re- resetting, and then doing it again and resetting. And then they do the same thing. So once again, we think everybody's doomed, the ant family and the native quantum realmers. And he does. they do the same thing where all the ants come. 
the ants and Michael Douglas come and, and actually save them. And it's the same thing where of like, oh no, we're screwed. And then, oh, here's the swarm of ants, save the day. And it once again just didn't land. Yeah. Just not really nothing in this movie landed. And and I'm kind of sad about it because I was I was really looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to Kang. Yeah, me too. And it just wasn't he wasn't compelling. And I don't know whose fault it is, but I'm just upset. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about this again in a couple of days and see how we feel after after we ruminate. Right. And actually, so the last note. The biggest pop of the whole movie was the end of credit stinger. So not the first stinger. Actually, the both stingers were the the two most interesting parts of the movie. But the end of credit stinger when they show Loki again and everybody was pumped. So they watched a two hour movie and then a 30 second stinger was the thing that worked. And ain't that just sad. On our next episode, there are no big movies premiering this week that we have in our schedule. So we are going to definitely catch up with All Quiet on the Western Front, potentially now the Oscar favorite for Best Picture. Yeah. And we are also going to watch Woman King as we've kind of let that one slip a little too far. And I've heard Woman King is like really great. Really good. So I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, but that's not get our expectations too high as we learned. With <laughs> I know. Maybe it's, it's fine. Um, and then we're going to continue breaking down The Last of Us. It looks like we're getting a, potentially a flashback into Ellie's life oh, before yeah. Joel. Party Down premieres, which I'm very excited for. And I, I'm very intrigued by the new Billy Crudup show on Apple, Hello Tomorrow. So I think I've said that we're going to watch that a few times, but I'm going to try my best to watch it and we could talk about it. And all of the things we just said are available to stream, so... Next week, there'll be nothing to spoil if you just catch up with all of those things. All right. And so thank you to Craig for the production assistance. And thank you to John Welsh for our intro and outro music. Subscribe so you know every time we post an episode. If you're a regular listener and you've been liking our tent, please feel free to write a nice review as it helps other people find our podcast. Follow us on all of the socials at Talk Intent. And feel free to email us any questions, comments, thoughts, opinions, cheers, or jeers to talkintent at gmail.com. From our living room to yours, what do you want to watch? Bye. Bye.